Hi, this is Nathan. Before we get to the episode, I want to invite you to join me on an incredible adventure this November of 2024. I am taking a small group of believers to Turkey, what the New Testament called Asia Minor, for a 12-day Bible study tour of the early church. We'll be studying the book of Acts and many of the epistles on location as we visit ancient cities like Ephesus, Laodicea, Heropolis, Antioch, Pergamum, and many more. If you are interested in joining me this November for a once-in-a-lifetime adventure as we study where much of the New Testament and early church took place, you can learn more by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. And if you're interested, don't delay. Spots are limited and on a first-come, first-served basis, and a $100 discount is available if you register before May 27th. I do hope you can join me. And again, more information is available at deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. Now, here's the episode. Welcome to episode 204 of the Deeper Christian Podcast. This is the podcast to help you study God's word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and in today's episode, I want to talk about who owns you. Let's dive in. Last week, we began a little mini-series talking about money. Now, I know it's one of those topics that a lot of people in the church don't like talking about, and I want to bring that up in just a moment. But I want to start with this idea that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus makes a rather compelling and maybe frustrating statement. Listen to what Jesus says. It's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus makes the declaration. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and will love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Now, listen to how Jesus concludes this statement, he says, you cannot serve God and wealth. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is talking about the fact that something is going to own you. Something is going to be your obsession. Something is going to grab your attention. Something is going to have your devotion. And it's interesting that he contrasts God and wealth. And he says, look, you you could only serve one of these. Now, isn't it interesting as you look throughout Christian history, especially in our modern days, it seems like we have two equally bad concepts of money. One is this idea that money is evil, uh, that we shouldn't have anything to do with money, that, that money is just the root of all the problems. Well, that's actually not true, nor is the opposite, which is equally a problem, which is money's everything and our lives should revolve around money or things. That first, that first idea where money is evil or things are bad is what we used to call asceticism. It's this idea that I need to remove myself from all of the money, all the wealth, all the things. And uh, in fact, if you want a great picture of this, uh, St. Francis of Assisi was an aesthetic. And in other words, he says, all right, let's live in caves. Let's wear the worst clothes. Let's just beg for our food because we want nothing to do with money. Well, there's actually a great problem with that. One, (laughs) someone had 
to you know work the jobs to get the money to actually donate to, to St. Francis. But, but that's not the solution. The solution is not just to look at things, to look at money as a whole and say, okay, this is evil. Let's stay away from it. Money's not bad. It's actually neutral. It's what we do with it. Things in and of themselves are not necessarily inherently uh, evil or bad. It's how we're using them and it's their position or placement in our lives. Again, if you take this on one side, this asceticism, the opposite side is what we could easily call materialism. It's where money and things are at the very center. Now, as a culture, we are wrapped up in and obsessed with materialism. And I understand that COVID has kind of shifted how we have kind of focused or done this. But prior to COVID, you know, the shopping malls were always busy. You, you would walk in a shopping mall and people are just hustling and bustling, just getting more and more stuff. But since the invention of the internet and all the great glorious Amazon, we now don't even have to go anywhere. We can actually spend all of our time shopping online. It's interesting. I was reading Randy Alcorn's book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity again. And I was just kind of refreshing myself on this idea of just, okay, what is the position or the placement of money in a Christian's life. And he was talking about materialism and he was referencing a, a documentary and he had a couple statistics. And I wanted to give those to you because they are so pertinent to the times in which we live. Now, this book is nearly 20 years old. So recognize that these statistics are rather old. And in, in fact, I would argue that these have only increased over the last couple of decades. But listen to these statistics. Again, I think they're really helpful, at least to lay a basis of understanding of this idea of materialism uh, in our culture today. The average American shops six hours a week, but spends only 40 minutes playing with his or her children. By the age of 20, the average television viewer has seen 1 million commercials. Recently, more Americans declared bankruptcy than graduated from college, and in 90% of divorce cases, arguments about money play a prominent role. Recently, I was looking at some statistics on this idea of storage spaces. I, I don't know if you know that the storage unit space is booming. It is going crazy. And it's estimated as of 2020, so a year ago, that $38 billion is spent every single year on self-storage. And when they calculated out how much actual land or like storage space there actually is, there is now, as of 2020, an estimated 6.5 square feet of storage space for every single person in America. That is crazy. Well, what do you call that? Materialism. We have so much stuff as Americans or us in the Western culture that we don't even have enough places for it that we're now paying a monthly fee to have someone just store our stuff. <laughs> that, is, that is so sad and absolutely ridiculous. Some time ago, a couple of missionaries who were out on the mission field came back to America and were spending some time and kind of on furlough. And they were asked just kind of their perspective of America. In other words, they've been gone overseas and, and working you know, in, in missions for some time What's your perspective of America now that you've come back for a little bit of time? One of them said this. I thought this was interesting. 
I have been overwhelmed with the materialism here. And another one said this. He said, what struck me the most was how people use their houses to make statements to each other. Their houses aren't just places to keep warm and dry, but they are showcases to display their wealth and impress each other. Isn't that a true statement for most of how how we in America live? Which actually brings up the question of who owns who? Do we actually own our stuff? Or does, at this point, our stuff actually own us? And yes, I think there's a danger in this idea of asceticism, where maybe we in the church, you know, we think we're extra spiritual. And so we kind of, yeah, we'll, we'll use money and yeah, money's important. And, but we kind of have this, you know, we kind of push it to an arm's length and, and we're trying not to deal with the money. Well, why? Well, it's because we want to feel more spiritual and we don't want to look materialistic. And yet when you actually look at our hearts, do you realize that whether we are spurning and thinking money is evil or when we put money as or things as the center of our lives, both of those are idolatry. And especially in materialism, materialism, when you get right down to the heart of it, it is pure idolatry that, that we are setting something up. We are building our lives around something other than God himself. Now, listen again to Jesus's declaration in Matthew 6, 24. He says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and will love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. One of those, either God or money is going to take your obsession. God or money is going to be your, your delight. God or money is going to be your focus. Now, again, it's not that money is bad. It's not that money is evil. Hey, I I need money. I need to put gas in the car. I got to buy groceries. I I have to pay utilities. And and so, hey, money is a tool that God can use in my life. And as we talked about in the previous episode from last week, that we are stewards of the resources that God has given us. We don't own the money that we have. The money in the bank account is not ours. It is actually God's. And he's allowing us to be a steward, an administrator of the resources that he has given us. Let me ask you a question. When you look at what you own and what you have and what you possess, would you say that you own it? Or would you say, yeah, actually, I've come to the point where it kind of owns me. Isn't it interesting? I'll use the classic example of like someone goes out and buys a boat. Is there anything wrong to have a boat? Probably not. But you realize that the cost of that boat is actually more than just the boat itself. Because now you got to take care of the boat. Now you've actually got to find some time to take the boat out on the water. Now, now you're not just giving money, but now you're giving time. The investment of a boat is far bigger than just the price of a boat. Or maybe to bring it more closer to home for a lot of us, you realize that the uh, a price of a television is more than just the sticker price on the box. That, yeah, okay, I'll spend a few hundred dollars and buy a television. But now I I actually have to start giving my time. I have to start giving my attention. Now I start giving my, my focus to this box of entertainment or information. And what I begin to discover is that, well, because I paid for the television. Again, I'm not against televisions. I have a television. I love watching documentaries. I love the Chosen series. I, I Hey, so I have a television. But I have noticed that there are times where 
I feel like that television actually owns me. I think it's really easy to look at the things that we own and say, well, yeah, I, I own it. But we forget the fact that because we have to spend time with it, because we we have to keep it up, because we have to do something with it, because we have to give our time toward it, what can easily begin to happen is that those things begin to own us. Now, again, just for clarity's sake, I'm, I'm not against money and I'm not against things, but, but I am asking the question, what place do those things have in your life? Is the reason you just bought the recent whatever, is that so that it's actually useful and functional in your life or for the kingdom of God? Or is it because you're trying to impress the people around you? Do you have to have the latest gadget or the latest computer or the latest device because you want to show yourself as, well, I I have my thing put together and I'm doing really well and and look how great I am. No, I'm not against having the latest stuff. But again, it's about the place it has in our lives. Perhaps let me ask it in a different way. Is the things in our life helping us live for eternity or are they causing distraction? See, for so many of us, we're living for the temporal, for the here and now and what we can get and what we can obtain and what just, you know, hey, I just need more, 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 which is our culture. But as Christians, we are to live in light of eternity. And we we recognize that the things of this world are fading away. They are going to pass away. They are going to burn. So am I trying to build up my little kingdom here or am I living for a kingdom there? Again, I'm not against the stuff. But the stuff of my life should be supporting the eternal eternal mindset. It should be supporting the kingdom of God and influencing that, not just to have stuff. Now, I'm all for hobbies. I'm all for having fun. I'm I'm all for laughing and having delightful experiences. But again, do you own your stuff or does your stuff own you? What do you long for? What is your passion? I, I love what Psalm 42 verse 1 and 2 says. As the deer pants, just is desperate, craves the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Is that true in your life? If someone was to open up your checkbook and look at your calendar and look at how you talk or what you talk about, would they notice that how you spend your time and how you spend your money and what you talk about is all about desiring God, all about thirsting and craving and going after him? Or would they say, wow, your your life seems to be all about you? David is in the middle of the wilderness, which is a desert land. It, there's very little water. And in Psalm 63, 1, he's in the middle of this environment. And listen to what David writes. He says, God, you are my God. I shall be watching for you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David is saying, just as I am in a place that is dry and weary and exhausted and there's no water, God, just as I would thirst for the water in desperation, Lord, so too I desperately crave you. I long for you. I thirst for you. What what do you thirst for? What are you longing for? Are you longing for the latest devices? Are, are you longing for more stuff? Are you longing for the here and the now? Or do you actually hunger and thirst for God? Materialism is a huge distraction for the Christian life. And I think, and I'm so guilty of this myself, 
I think we in America or the Western culture, we've so lived with the comforts and the pleasures and the materialism of the age that that we just presume that we can have a rich relationship with Jesus and have our stuff too. And it's like we're, we're trying to to have the American dream and, and have all the success and the wealth and the prosperity. And, and, and yet we're like, well, yeah, I want God a part of that. He can just, he can be a piece of a piece of my life rather than realizing that he is to be our life, that he is to be our full focus. And again, we need houses, we need groceries, we need things to function. I understand that, but we can easily fall into materialism where we are all obsessive about stuff. In his great book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, Randy Alcorn in chapter four outlines 10 dangers of materialism. And I want to just read those 10 things to you. And if you want to flesh them out, I encourage you to read that chapter in the book. And there's a link for that in the show notes. But I absolutely agree with Randy Alcorn. There is such a danger as we fall into materialism. So I just want to read his 10 points. And again, he flushes them out really well in the book. But I, I just want this to stir you and have... Maybe just for us to allow the Holy Spirit to search and try our hearts and say, okay, is there any materialism? Is there any centeredness on stuff happening in our lives? So looking at materialism, Randy Alcorn says this, that material materialism, number one, prevents or destroys our spiritual lives. It, number two, binds us to the curses of wealth. Number three, it brings us unhappiness and anxiety. Number four, it ends in ultimate futility. Number five, materialism obscures many of the best things in life, which are free, including the gift of salvation. Number six, materialism spawns independence and self-sufficiency, which are deadly to faith. Number seven, materialism leads to pride and elitism. Number eight, it promotes injustice and exploitation. Number nine, it fosters immorality and and the deterioration of the family. And number 10, materialism distracts us from our central purpose. It's interesting, it's been noted throughout all Christian history that the more wealth one has, it is often accompanied by a decrease in godliness. In other words, love of money pushes out a love for the Lord. Now, I know that there are outliers. I know that there are wealthy people who absolutely love Jesus and are using their money for the kingdom of God. And that is phenomenal. And if God has blessed you with the means or the ability to make a lot of money, I have some great friends who are rather wealthy that God has blessed their endeavors and they just, they find it easy to make money. And I love the focus that they have. It's, it's not on the making the money. They are so in love with Jesus that they're saying, Hey, look, I have, I have an ability. I have a blessing to make a lot of money. So what am I going to do? I'm actually going to leverage that and let God use that for the kingdom of God. And so they are sponsoring discipleship and missions and, and the orphan and the needy and the destitute and the homeless and And they're literally living every year on less and less money. They're not building bigger and bigger kingdoms for themselves. They're actually allowing their standard of living to remain small. And as the money increases, they're using that bounty for the sake of the kingdom. I love that about people like John Wesley or George Mueller, who as they were increasing in their money, right? In other words, they started at a church and they weren't they weren't making very much. And after a couple of years, finally they were able at a at a place to live normally. I mean, at a, like a even just a small meager living. But as the years went on and they began to make more and more money, they did not increase their standard of living. Most of us, 
we get a raise or we get a bonus. And it's like, yes, I can now have whatever. And when they took a different strategy, they said, all right, as God increases or as people donate to the, to the work, rather than increasing my kingdom or increasing my standard of living, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that excess and use it in ministry. George Mueller would put it to the orphan houses. John Wesley would use it for the, the down and outers and the, the destitute and feeding the poor and visiting the, those in prison. And, and isn't it interesting that in both of their cases, by the end of their lives, millions of dollars flowed through their hands. And yet, yet they would say that the secret was is that, that they kept their hands open. That though millions of dollars flowed through their hands, it went right out into ministry went right out into helping the poor, went right out into advancing the kingdom of God. What if we had that same mentality? That if you got a raise, it wasn't like, oh yes, now I can get such and such. Now it's like, wow, God, what what, what, what do you want to donate to? How, how, could you, how could you use this excess in my life to influence and, and transform lives and bring about the gospel and have Bibles in, in closed nations and help missionaries and help the orphans and help the destitute and how, how can I train up the body of Christ to know the fullness of scripture? See, wouldn't it be interesting if we changed our thought process on money? And what if materialism didn't grab us? Again, I'm not, I'm not against money, but wouldn't it be interesting if we had this open-handed attitude when it came to resource that as God increased or as God gave favor in your life, you merely saw it as an avenue to return that back to him and give to the work of the kingdom of God. Well, quickly, one other quick thought about this idea of materialism. You realize that this idea of materialism has snuck into the church. We're all about our buildings. We're all about our programs. We're all a bill. We're all about, you know, satisfying the needs of the members of the congregation. And yet it is really sad to me to see how little of a church budget goes to missions, how little of a church budget goes to helping those in the local area around that church. In fact, we have a whole distinction of, 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 of the modern church that it's all about prosperity, that the evidence of Christ in your life is going to be health, wealth, and happiness. Actually, the evidence of Christ in our life is the spirit of God in our life. It's love. It is peace. It is joy. And yes, God may bless you with material riches, but that's not guaranteed. And we should not be pining after material wealth. This is not about name it and claim it, nab it and grab it kind of stuff. That That is actually not biblical. We are, we are told we are going to suffer. We are going to face persecution. This isn't about your happiness. This is about God's glory. And as we live for his glory, you will find that it makes for a very happy, joy-filled life, even in the midst of difficulty. So don't buy into the modern lie that your life is all about you. Your life is not yours. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body, says Paul. And if I could add, and with your resources, with your money, with your time. Because we are not our own. We are the Lord's and we are stewards for him to use however he desires. Again, can I ask you, as you take a survey of your life and you look at the stuff that you you have and the things that you possess, could it be that our focus has actually been wrong? That we've been trying to build up our own lives. We've been trying to make ourselves look good in the eyes of the people around us. We're, we're wanting the latest and the greatest and the best. 
Not because it's even helpful. It's just because we want to look good. Could it be that God actually wants to change your whole thought process on money? That rather than trying to hoard and and trying to build your bank account and trying to have a better standard of living, could it be that God actually wants to start allowing your fingers to be pried open so that he can actually start flowing resource through your fingers? And, and could it be that maybe God does give you a bonus or maybe does increase your salary? What if rather than rushing to get something and living and continuing this propagation of materialism in the Western world, what if we would set that before the Lord and say, Lord, how would you desire to use this resource? Now, in the next episode, I want to talk about this idea of giving and tithe because I think it's often confused in our modern days. We just presume that because we give God 10%, he must be happy and we can do whatever we want with the 90%. But that's actually not the New Testament idea. But you're going to have to wait till the next episode before we get into that. Let me leave you with this one other passage. Jesus makes this statement in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He says, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one is affluent, does his life consist of his possessions. Would you be on guard against every form of greed? And we know in Colossians, greed is idolatry. Would you allow God to turn your mind from you and your stuff and place it upon him and his kingdom? Would you see your money and your resources in light of eternity? What if the world would look upon our lives and they would see the grandeur of the gospel because they see how we handle money? Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Deeper Christian Podcast. For show notes of this episode, including a list of the verses, the book that I mentioned, those 10 things, those 10 dangers of materialism, as well as a link where you can sign up to win this month's book giveaway, which is Randy Alcorn's great book on managing money. You can do all of that in the show notes by visiting deeperchristian.com forward slash 204 for episode 204. Well, I'm excited as we continue this concept in next week's episode. But until then, know that I'm cheering you on as you build your life around Jesus Christ.